Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. And in this episode, I have the opportunity of interviewing Joanna Lilly. Now, Joanna has earned her stripes working in the front lines with young adults at two major universities where she was an academic coach and working with students on academic probation as well as sitting on a treatment team for students who were deferring their suspension by opting into an in-house recovery program. So students failing out of college is her specialty. She knows exactly what's going on. She's been there, she's done that. Didn't feel like she was having the impact that she wanted to make, so she transitioned into educational consulting, which is how I got to know Joanna. She's very passionate about the young adult experience, very direct, very honest, writes a really powerful blog. And you'll see in this interview that she and I saw really eye to eye on a lot of things, which obviously makes her brilliant, right? And um, she has a master's degree in counseling from West Virginia University. She's a nationally certified counselor and currently working towards her LPC. For anybody who is struggling in college, is scared about going to college, or has kids or family or friends that are struggling in college, you're gonna get a lot from this interview. I really enjoyed our time together, and I hope you get a lot out of this, guys. So thanks for joining, and Joanna Lilly. All right, Joanna, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. I know you've been traveling a lot this week, and I'm glad you're digging deep on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here, seriously. Good, good. We got, we got some serious stuff to work out. I think I've found my, like, my like, match for intensity and passion for young adults. Um, and I'm just curious, like, where, where, why are you so passionate about young adults? Where'd that come from for you? Well, that's a great question, actually, because I feel like, honestly, I am, I have always been passionate about something that I've kind of set my mind to or, or noticed kind of this, an area where there might be a gap, right? Like filling that gap. So um, ultimately, the passion really was ignited because I worked uh, in higher education for five years. And it was during that time. And that was like my first real experience of working with 18 year olds now, or like college students that are Gen Z. And I just realized how different they were uh, than I was. And I mean, some of them are, you know, whatever, 10 years younger, 15 years younger than me, the college students that are there now. But realistically, what's uh, happening is that uh, I just, I saw this kind of like, oh my gosh, these people um, are amazing and they're so hungry for help and I just want to help them. And so instead of continuing to work in higher education and instead of wanting to work for one specific like awesome program, I really wanted to be the, the connector. I wanted to know all of those amazing programs so that when I had these young, young adults that were really struggling in their, in their launching or had attempted to launch and just really unraveled, um, I wanted to get them, you know, like solid footing. I wanted to get them back and so that they were ready to go. And so I've just kind of, um, I can be really fiery. <laughs> like, how, like how you called it passionate because I think sometimes I'm a little, I can be almost aggressive with talking about this because it, it, it really can be an epidemic. At the same time, um, 
you know, it's just, I saw the need. I don't want to, I don't want to work with anybody else because it's not just the young adults too. It's also talking about, you know, the parenting system and how you parent a young adult. So you're, you're definitely passionate. Your blog yes. is fiery and I, yes. I like it because <laughs> I, I, I feel, and that's where I, like, I didn't realize this about you until I really started diving into the blog and our conversation at the wilderness symposium. I, I too, here's what's going on. Everybody criticizes the younger generation. Yeah, we all do. And we're mm -hmm. mad because they're not like us. And you're right. They're very different than us. And you know, those differences we tend to just get frustrated with instead of going, what are they bringing to the table? That's really cool yeah. and great. And we give them terrible advice systemically, mm -hmm. systematically, yes. we give them terrible advice. And that's where a lot of my fire comes from too, is like, we're blowing it with advice. We're giving these young people that are lost yeah. and looking for direction. Yes. And that's where people like you and I come in and that's why we do what we do, which is cool. Yeah. Right. So, oh, absolutely. so what were you doing in higher education? So I actually worked um, at two different universities, both in student success and retention. That was like the division that I worked in. And then my actual roles, like at one, one university, it was just student success coaching, which actually was me presenting on, you know, time management, note-taking skills for some of these like first year seminar courses to proactively make sure that these students were, you know, on, on track or on top of their academics. Um, but then also I had a caseload of some of these students and not all freshmen. I mean, this was like through senior year, students that were officially on academic probation. And what I was finding, even though in my training, they were like, okay, make sure you have these really generic conversations of these, these skills that they need to have that are very academic focused. We missed the mark on asking them what's going on. It's not about like, oh, you don't know how to manage your time or you, you aren't organized and let me give you these skills. I mean, every once in a while that executive functioning piece comes in, but a lot of that dysregulation is because quite honestly, they're having this existential crisis of, I don't even know why I'm here. Or like I'm, you know, three years into a college degree and I really don't like what I'm studying. So you're at odds with all of these factors, both internal and external. And so I just kind of, the first university that I was working at was where kind of the light bulb started to go off of like, hmm, nobody's really asking this question of like, what's going on? Why this university? Why, you know, like, what, what makes you want to be here? And then by the time I landed at the second university, which is what brought me out to Colorado, um, I was doing the same job. So this student success coaching, but that universe, that second university actually let me do a lot more of this kind of like destigmatizing mental health. So I was actually doing a lot of role playing with my students on like, and these are young adults that are afraid to go to a counseling office or go to the disability services office. They have no idea what that's going to look like. So they would just say, well, Joanna, I don't even know what to ask, or I don't know, you know, what to do when I'm there. So we would role play that stuff in my office. A lot of it, like I said, was just destigmatizing them asking for help. It was okay to ask for help. This is like, we need to normalize this. Um, and then, making sure kind of that case management piece where they actually follow through and then all of a sudden they come back and they're like well i finally got the courage to contact the counseling office but the earliest they can get me in is four to five weeks from now and to me i'm like that's just not acceptable so bringing those students back and saying like okay well let's look at your insurance how do i coach you to identify 
finding a, you know, a, a local counselor that's actually in network for you and see if you can get to, get in to see somebody sooner than later. Um, so I've never, I was never doing that work for them, but like the wheels were starting to turn. And the second hat that I also wore at that second university, again, this is all kind of related to your question, is that I also served on a suspension deferral treatment team. So students that had pretty significant substance abuse and the university had this drug court model program, which seemed pretty progressive. Uh, but at the end of the day, I just realized, you know, this is just another retention initiative. This is another way that we're continuing to have these students be, you know, like degree seeking, tuition paying, but realistically, it might be better for them to leave and get help. So that became like, I started to become a little bit of the squeaky wheel of those particular students were being presented as like, here's this option of you can and accept your suspension or you can choose to participate in this program um, and I just started to say like mm, maybe we shouldn't give them the option of participating on campus like they're they're at a higher level like they need to go to you know a treatment program staying on campus we're just gonna drag this out and them actually you know being sober and starting this like launching a life into recovery it's not gonna happen in three months it's, it will be lucky if it happens in nine months so nobody likes the squeaky wheel. <laughs> I, the, squeaky, <laughs> the squeaky wheel also doesn't like being squeaky. At some point, I know like I'm super high pitched in saying this, so it's kind of ironic, but <laughs> I, I just, I like seriously, I just got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm literally, I can stay here in a system because that's what higher education is. I can stay here in this system and continue to fight like endlessly for these students. But the reality is what I'm fighting for today, we may not see any implemented change for no lie, three to five years from now. So what I was fighting for then, it was just like, dude, I'm a millennial. I am a stereotypical millennial. Like I do not have patience. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, the time for change is now. And so if you guys aren't gonna like follow me, I don't wanna be a part of this. So then I started to kind of just like plant the seed, have conversations with some of my colleagues on that treatment team uh, across different uh, offices within student affairs on campus. And I just said like, look, you guys, I'm going to leave higher ed. I'm going to do this job. I want to be this consultant, this point person for these students that are leaving to get them immediately connected so that we aren't, again, this is a systemic change because colleges and universities, once a student withdraws, the liability or like the university just kind of throws up their hands and says, well, they left, so we can't really help them. Or, you know, like they're on their own now, so we wish them, you know, the best. But the reality is like, I, again, this is me being a little more assertive aggressive, is that I don't want those students to go home and flounder and like maybe eventually get to a program and only because it got way worse before it got better. So anyways, I left, I took a completely unrelated job that allowed me the ability to tour some programs and, and then kind of lay the foundation for my business. But it was while I was in higher ed, you know, working in those retention offices that I really started to see that this, this concept of, you know, keeping, it's not even about keeping students on campus. It's just about like, we need to do better for this younger population. And, and that's why, um, you know, I ended up leaving. I think it's absurd we look at 18 and 19 year olds and say, what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> right. 
right? Oh my and gosh. Listen, <laughs> I think that was a fair question for my parents. They're now yes. 80, right? Yes. They grew up in a different time where you made that decision at 18 or 19. It was a pretty simple one. Right. The, the paths were pretty laid out and you knew you were going to stick at a career for 30 to 40 years. That, that made sense, you know, 50, 60 years ago, but we're still asking yeah. the same question. And yeah. I'm going to ask you a much bigger and a huge question in a second here, yeah. but I'm prefacing it with, you know, to your point, we're just, I, I think we need to be more savvy. I think we need yeah. to be savvy practitioners at every level in looking at these young people and saying, how do we work with them? How do we, yeah. how do we give them advice? You know, I got terrible advice in college, platitudes <laughs> that were, and, and here's the thing, it wasn't, it wasn't that the advice was, it was just sort of half truths, right? Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a late Gen Xer, fringy millennial, you got the same message, follow your passion, <laughs> Do yes. what you love. You'll never work another day the rest of your life. I, it's not that I totally disagree with those things, but for a for a nineteen year old or twenty year old that's really trying to figure out their life, they're, yeah. we're hanging on every word. And I think we do an injustice to these young people when we just sort of throw those really fun ideas at them and don't walk right. them through the details and say, okay, you know, listen, your career and what you're going to do with your life actually might. It took me fifteen years. Yeah. well into my 30s to land where I really wanted to be and where I was really good. Yeah. And, and so I, anyway, I, I share your passion and I share your fire around, you know, needing to just, just wanting people to be more informed and more thoughtful in how we're talking to young adults. Right. Now the big question, why the anxiety, why the depression, mm -hmm. why the angst with right so many young people right now that's the huge question i don't know we have the answers but i'm, I'm yeah. curious what your perspective is from from your higher education experience well and, and again a lot of my my experience too a lot of my formulated thoughts are around reflecting on my time on campus and the difference too so while i was in grad school even which was like seven years after i started high like my undergrad like how people engaged with people was, you know, black and white in terms of, you know, walking around campus. When I was an undergrad, it was still like, eh, not everybody had cell phones. Like I was joking about this the other day because I was saying like, <laughs> we had a landline in my residence hall. Like that was how my parents still called me. Even though I actually had a cell phone in college, like they didn't call me on my cell phone. That was like for emergencies. And even then, like I didn't really have it turned on. So like that, and that feels so old, but it's really not. And so what I'm getting at is that I do think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are kind of pointing fingers towards technology and video gaming, and that's, you know, a lot of it. But I, I think it's truly a combination of everything. I do think that, you know, we're looking at a generation of young people that have never known a life without technology and the access to technology means literally the world at their fingertips, which means that we've now bypassed the need for critical thinking or having a conversation, which is like, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but let's hypothesize without actually looking it up or like whipping out Google and saying like, hey Google, help me with this or Siri or whatever. Um, I do think that that's played a little bit um, because now you have all of this 
access to, to like comparing yourself to others. And I do think that that comparison, right. Or this facade of like, my life is amazing. You know, like I'm in college, I'm at this Ivy league school or like, you know, I've won all these awards or I'm traveling the world and look at my relationship and I'm so happy, but we're all human. We're not perfect. We have these ups and downs. And I do think that kind of this combination of, you know, how, how technology has shifted everything about our lives. I do think that going back to your comment too about like, you know, we haven't really changed the message in 50 years. Like, I think that still stands true. And I know that a lot of like higher ed programs are pointing their fingers at K to 12 systems saying, you're not preparing our kids for college. And then K to 12 is kind of pointing their finger back to higher ed and saying, you're not meeting who's showing up. Like we, we need to, there needs to be a bridge. We need to do better. And again, there's just so much change in, in such a short amount of time that these large systems aren't able to kind of match the, the speed or rate of this change. And so there's just kind of that, there's an impasse, there's, there's an opportunity, and it's creating a lot of turmoil for these young people. And I think along those lines with the message, now we're seeing, I think the parents also are utilizing, you know, the internet and, and putting their kids on display as a way to make themselves feel better, right? Like as a parent, you don't want to necessarily say, or this is like, I've heard this from families before. Like, I don't want to share that my son or my dog, you know, like my child is going into the military. Like there's something about that that doesn't feel as important than somebody who's going to, you know, some prestigious insert name of a four-year school. I mean, I think it's complete BS quite frankly, and it's upsetting to me. I think that's a lot of like the, the families that I work with, it's because the, like no offense parents, if you're listening to this, like you're, you're a part of the problem too. Like the parents are the ones who are blindly pushing their kids who aren't ready for school to go to school. When we, we know, like you and I in our industry, like ah, their brain's not developed. Like they have no idea what they want but they also don't have the skills to figure out what they want. That's where we're in trouble. And so I think that's where a lot of the anxiety, the depression, the angst comes in too, is because they've been completely, you know, spoon fed or they've been helped, um, you know, overly helped. I get it often where parents are like, well, you know, I want to ask them this question. It's like, well, ask them, but you got to let them come up with the answer. Well, I don't feel comfortable with that. I need them to, like, if they don't know the answer, I'm going to figure it out for them quickly. So, I don't know, maybe as a species, we've all just, like, completely evolved to this, like, super robotic, like, must answer, must do everything right this second, <laughs> which is <laughs> creating madness. But um, I don't know. I mean, there, there's no, you can't, there's not one single thing that's creating it all. I do think that, you know, there's obviously a lot. And then the last thing that I'll say because I have been talking a lot, is that I do think that we, because of technology, because of the lack of relationships, because of the change in how we've done everything, that we've moved away from like slowing down. We've sped up so quickly that we don't appreciate nature. We aren't active like we used to be. And I know that that plays a difference too in these young people. And that's why you see all that success about anybody like adolescent or young adult that participates in some some sort of outdoor behavioral health type program they come out because they've unplugged they've reconnected there's insight there's a separation from parent 
to their child, regardless of whether their child is 12 or whether their child's 32. I mean, it's just blows my mind. So there's so much, I mean, it's completely an onion that, you know, no matter what, what layer you peel, there's something else underneath. And, and obviously everybody's different, but we're trying to wrap our heads around it and do the best we can. And at the same time, you and I, we're matching the speed of the changes, but it's the systems that we're kind of orbiting around that are a little bit slower, that's you know, kind of disrupting the entire system that you want to call it, that we're a part of. If everybody just listened to you and I, Joanna, we would, everything would be going so much better, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, just listen to us. Please. Right, right. <laughs> Well, listen, reading yeah. your blog, uh, you don't have to get beyond a couple paragraphs to, to know that you're, you're, you're on those parents. And, yeah. you know, I, I think it's interesting because we're really starting to see with the iGen that are now well into college, their parents are Gen Xers. Yeah. Right. And Gen Xers, we are known for being independent. We were kind of the latchkey generation. We had, a, we had a lot of freedom and, yep. and we, we kind of, that's why I'm sort of confused. And this is one of my big sort of mysteries right now with the parenting style going on is that while Gen Xers have been, we're just kind of free spirits, not in the baby boomer sense of like kind of the hippie days, but we're free spirits in the sense of like, yeah, we, 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 got home from school and got our food and did our homework. And then mom and dad came home, you know, yeah. women entered the, the workforce. And so I'm just sort of shocked to see Gen X parents raising their kids. So structured yeah. and so scared and so yeah. nervous and so safety minded. I mean, that's one of the big yeah. issues or, or like sort of, you know, shifts right. with this iGen is like, they're so safety oriented. Right. Um, but I wonder if it's How do you fears. make sense of that? I think, I think it's, again, okay, I hate to be a broken record, and I really don't think that we can just lean on technology for everything. At the same time, I think that now, because we've just, I mean, look at the news. Everything is, like, so catastrophic. Again, when I was growing up, it was like, yeah, I remember, you know, really you know, milestone ev events, right? Like catastrophic stuff. But that was like maybe once every five years, if that even. I mean, the news were just like, yeah, what's going on locally? It's not the end of the world. But now people are, I don't know if, if we've just kind of numbed to it all because we just expect that everybody is out to get everybody. And I do, that's, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> that's interesting that I like had that thought. It's just this idea, though, that there are so many people that are dangerous, right? Like human trafficking, like that existed before, but now everybody knows about it because we have access to see who's missing, right? We have ways to track people. We have like, you know, just developed systems now where things are happening. And I wonder if that like evolution and exposure to, you know, these misgivings, these other ways where, you know, your kids could end up getting hurt. I wonder if that shifted the parenting, this idea of like, oh my gosh, now that I know all those horrible things that are out there, right? But that my parents were oblivious to, that's what Gen Xers might be saying. Like my parents were oblivious to this because they were working and they just said, you know, go home or walk home from school, no big deal. Nowadays, it's like, 
okay, your kid needs to text you the moment that they're leaving school. They need to let you know that the moment you get home, they're going to have a, a camera on them, right? Like cell phone, GPS, maybe talk. I mean, it's just, we're overly involved and overly invested in letting what happened happen, right? Like my yeah. parents, I mean, there's, there's just this, this constant fear of my kid always has to like, they have to be safe. They have to be okay. And that sense and the change of parenting is what has evolved to now having this population, iGen, who are showing up in college or, you know, like trying to launch into their adulthood and don't know how to, like, literally, I need to be careful because I, I often generalize and I understand that there are people out there that are going against the grain and making sure that their young adult really is successful. And at this point, I feel like that's an anomaly. Like uh, what I see on a daily basis now in my consulting practice before when I was in higher ed, and even when I worked in K to 12, it was like, we've got young people that literally don't know how to do anything. You ask them a question, which requires a, a moment of thought, like a moment of like hmm, critical thinking, and they will stare at you rather blankly. Like, I've never been asked that question. I don't even know where to, like, come up with an answer. Or, like, I have no idea how to problem solve. I've never had to do it before because it's always been done for me. Yeah. And so that's, that is kind of the, that's where we're at. This, this total kind of crux of the climb where this is a hard spot. And you got to figure out how to get over it. And it's got to be the parents learning to let go. And it's got to be the young adult kind of shedding their skin of like, yes, I don't want to be told what to do the rest of my life. I actually want to figure it out for myself. I so agree with you. And I think parenting has gone next level. Like the game, the parenting game got like ratcheted up 10 notches mm -hmm. very quickly. And I see a lot of well-meaning, well-intentioned parents just not sure how to deal with this whole new ball game they've been handed to them around right. technology management and those kinds of things. I mean, when I was young, three TV stations had news on local news three times a day, 30 minutes each, right? We're talking an hour and a half of news you could grab yeah. and a day. Now we've got 24-7 news, um, mm -hmm. you know, full stations dedicated to it, many stations dedicated to it, uh, yeah. social media and internet where we can tap into it 24-7. And I agree. I think it's totally overwhelming our current parents and has made us all really angsty and really mm -hmm. nervous around letting our kids walk home from school. And yeah. we just weren't, we're just not like our wiring, our genetic DNA hasn't caught up to that. You know, we're still yeah. in these tribal, we're still, you know, in this sort of tribal DNA that's like, oh, you know, if, if a tragedy happens close to you, you're aware of it. Otherwise you're not aware and you just sort of move on. Right. And yeah. have you ever read or heard of the book Enlightenment Now from Steven Pinker? I have not. So you might find it interesting and, and he walks through so many different areas of our world that, that in, in that we're so much safer, healthier, mm. like the world has never been a better place. It's never been a better place to be a woman. It's never been a better place to be a minority. Now, granted, there's still a lot of work to do, uh, but he just sort of walks you through all these things. Yet we are all, you know, that's nah, pretty dramatic. There's a common thread of like the sky's falling. Yeah. And I'm not discounting the fact that we have, you know, things to work on as a, as a global community, but 
it's a perception issue mm -hmm. and it's really screwing things up. It really is. And yeah. now granted mass shootings are new. That's what I see. I Jenner's growing up mm -hmm. seeing, and it's, you know, we got to figure it out. 9-11 was a yeah. big defining moment for iGen. Mm -hmm. um, well, more millennials because they remember it, but iGeners grew up in the, in the shadow of it. Yes. And, yeah. and so I, I totally agree. We've, got, we've just got this whole new ball game. And so the parents that are doing it right, <laughs> I have twin babies, they're one year old. Like, <laughs> what, are, what in your opinion are they doing? the small and big things that are helping. Cause I agree. I see a lot of great young adults, you know, they do have those problem solving skills. They do know how yeah. to tap into their intuition. What yeah. is it their parents are doing to bring that out in them? I think there are some parents that are really like, un you know, it's in a very uncomfortable place and I'll just be, this is from my experience in higher ed uncomfortably letting their young adult figure it out right so whether that means that they're stumbling through or they're over socializing and then all of a sudden oops you're on academic provision the parents not coming in and saying you know shaking their fist at the university of your professors didn't do a good enough job working with my son you know or my daughter or whoever um, what they're doing is saying well this is what you're accountable for. This is your decision. And so kind of having this moment of really, like I said, being uncomfortable because you, you are nervous that they're going to get hurt. You're nervous that they're going to get fail. You're they're They're going to fail. You're nervous that they're not going to be this successful, you know, person that you have as an expectation for your young adult, but they're letting go like that the the young adults that are figuring it out it's because their parents are giving them space to do that now i'll also say that there are some parents that are even a step ahead and they've kind of created a list of like here's the top 20 things you need to be able to do before you leave your home like this is it's so arbitrary and kind of funny because we're kind of of the generation two of self-help and we also understand that you know again iGen is kind of this generation of like oh we don't really know how to do much of anything so now we've got this shift where some parents are starting to say, well, I want to make sure that my young adult before they actually leave can do all of these things. I mean, it could be something like makes me giggle because it's, you know, it's, it's common sense, but it's not common. Like how to change a tire, how to check your oil, how to, you know, like do some of these things like your laundry, like knowing how to do that, like very simple tasks. And then there are also some parents that are understanding of like not being blind to their struggles. So when they ask, and what I mean by that is, okay, their young person is very anxious. Maybe they've been seeing a therapist, maybe they're seeing a psychiatrist and they're on, you know, they have medication, but they're still really struggling. And the parent is worried that when they leave, they're not, you know, it's just kind of, they're going to implode, something else is going to happen. Um, they want to kind of be a little bit more gentle and making sure that it's not this just like hard push from the back or like, good luck, you know, figure it out when, when they're already kind of having these pre-existing conditions. Um, making sure that they're getting the skills or being connected to the resources before they leave. So again, uh, the parent, however, is not the one doing all the work they're helping their young person kind of figure it out. Like, hey, okay, so you want to go to school. 
we know that it's hard to find a counselor on campus. So let's find a therapist for you before you leave, but somebody that's in the community, but not doing the work for them, letting the young person do it themselves. So like the, the kind of umbrella theme for all of those examples is the parent that really realizes, yes, okay, 18 years old is arbitrary and it's kind of this ridiculous, like we say, oh, you're an adult, but nobody's really an adult at 18. At this point, it's just identifying, like if I haven't already started to kind of step back on my supervision and my parenting, now is the time for me to do this because I've been for 18 years huddling over my, you know, young adults, making sure that they're safe, that they're alive, that they're thriving. Um, and now it's an opportunity for me to really try to let them spread their wings. The only way that they're going to be able to do that is if I step back. Now on the flip side of that, I do have a lot of parents that literally will continue to hover. They just cannot let go. They are so uncomfortable mm -hmm. with letting their young adult, like trusting them to take care of themselves that it literally becomes almost like the secondary patient. The parent just is like so addicted to taking care of their young person that the young person is just kind of will forever be, uh, you know, unable to take care of themselves because parent was never able to step back. When do you think a young adult is an adult? Like you, you, you mentioned 18 doesn't, I mean, 18 yeah. <laughs> legally makes them an adult, right? Yeah. And, and we've, I've had this conversation with a lot of people, you know, yeah. through the years in our program even. And so what do, you, what do you think does make a young person an adult, if not their age? You're, you're right. You're right. I do think it is brain development. I do think it is the ability to kind of like if we were to have a checklist of these are all the skills that you need to be able to demonstrate before being on your own or being on your own successfully, like that makes you an adult. I mean, I'm in my mid thirties and sometimes like the way I act or like depending on who I'm around, like I can feel like I'm still a kid just because I, that, I mean, we're human. We're not all of a sudden like, oh, you, you hit this milestone and now all of a sudden you're like old and boring and, you know, clocking into work. Like that's not how this works. But I think also when you become an adult is when your parents, like the, the evolution or that change in the parenting also changes. So instead of parenting a child, now you're parenting an adult. And that's a lot of that's like, yeah, we just don't talk that often because my young person is successfully on their own. So I do think a part of that, like when you become an adult is, you're not communicating 18 times a day with your parents checking in because you know, you're, you're nervous and you're attached at the hip. It's when you feel confident in yourself to be able to meet new people, to form new relationships, to have a job, to advocate for yourself. I mean, like truly it's all these, you know, you, you have executive functioning, you know, you have DBT skills, like you can, you can be upset and you're not going to react to those situations like you would if you were six years old because you have the ability to regulate and communicate effectively. You also acknowledge that as a human, like you're not happy all the time. It's okay to be depressed, it's, but, but being an adult means, okay, how do I get out of this, right? How do I get the help that I need to continue to thrive because that's what I wanna do. So I hear you saying, emotional intelligence yes. to wrap all that up is, mm -hmm. is you're saying when you achieve a certain level of emotional intelligence you're an adult and i think that's a great way to look at it i also love that you really identified and i never thought of it that way the the, the shift in parenting because we yeah. all know 
that day when our, our relationship with our parents truly shifted. And that's yeah. a, that can be a rocky process for me and my parents and I have amazing mm -hmm. parents. It was a difficult process. I was the youngest of five. It was hard for them to let me go and not be a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. you know, of course I thought I was an, a, you know, a mature adult at 15. Right. And, and so I think that is a really good marker. And I think for parents that are wanting their young people to become an adult, yeah. what, a great, what a great thing to say to them is, are you parenting them as an adult or as a child still? And that could be part of the problem or that could help the process along if that's what you really want. And anyway, I never thought of it like that. That's really cool. It's funny, I remember, I remember being on a river trip. I just turned 18, just graduated high school. My parents... We were on a river trip and they were nagging me about something. And I remember I turned and I was, this was a river trip with a bunch of people we didn't know very well. And mm -hmm. great, like we ended up with a great group of people, but like, I just kind of like snapped and I'm like, mom, dad, I'm an adult now. And like everybody laughed. <laughs> <laughs> the whole place just was like, yeah, right. <laughs> And, um, you know, now looking back, I realize how absurd that comment was, but uh, I, I think that's really cool that you put some thought into that. Um, you know, in your, in your blogs, you also explore kids, young, young people getting sick on campus and, yeah. and kind of that process. I guess you saw a lot of that in, in the retention department. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what you saw? Oh, sure. I mean, like, I'm just doesn't even have to be on campus like this time of year right like end of summer officially beginning of fall is when all of a sudden we get these spiked hot days cool nights and you know some bug or some flu goes around but the difference is that on campus like you're literally in a petri dish already like you are prime to basically get sick regardless of what's going around and you know, if you are the fortunate one that, that misses it, I think everybody's going to look at you and say, like, what the heck did you do, right? Um, but especially this time of year, with kids getting sick, it just exacerbates this idea of, like, if they were somewhat homesick, if they were somewhat sad about or coming to this kind of existential, like, starting to process the, the why am I here, like, the shock of being on campus and the reality of what it actually means to be a college student that it's not just you know parties 24 7 and and you know playing it's like no you actually have to study you actually have to go to class you actually have to advocate for yourself like these are this is this is tough um so once you get sick it just there's something about it i mean shoot even now like again in my mid-30s sometimes when i'm sick like my pull is to call my mom mom please take care of me yeah like can you just like fly out here and like make me some soup and you know like tuck me in like it's so silly but you think about it for somebody who's away from home for the first time and then all of a sudden they get sick they have absolutely no idea how to take care of themselves like this goes way far beyond the whole like well I don't know how to do laundry mom can you help me it's like no I actually feel ill like I don't want to be anywhere else but at a place where my parents are taking care of me. So right now is when, you know, it hits the fan. College students are like, oh my gosh, I'm not well. 
But then what they don't realize is that if they don't go to class when they're sick, or they don't, they don't actually go see a doctor or speak with somebody about the fact that, hey, we didn't, it's not like I just skipped class to skip class. No, I like actually was, was ill. And depending on how sick they are, like we're not talking about one day, we could be like, you could be down for the count for, you know, a whole week, two weeks, or, you know, what if you get mono? Like you really have zero energy to do anything. So now we get these students then that, the snowball is just like it's starting to roll like they don't realize it but i know it because i've seen it a hundred probably hundreds of times where they're sick and then they just let one class slip and it doesn't matter and then two class slips and then they realize like i lost i just missed a, an exam or like i didn't i haven't been checking the syllabus and now all of a sudden i realize that i've actually like missed the maximum number of classes that I, you know, am allotted for the semester, or they literally realize that they just, I mean, it, like I said, it's the snowball, right? So one class gone because they were sick, and now all of a sudden it's like the semester's in the tank. They have no way of, like, recuperating their grade, and even though they might think they can, they really don't, and so it, it and again, this is also, we're only like six weeks into the semester, so it's hard to comprehend, but they also, and again, I'm generalizing, haven't haven't put it together how college academics are different than high school like being sick staying home whatever like you're in college now you can't just go to your professor and ask for for extra credit like that's not how this works there are some faculty that are really like hard and firm with the the boundaries of whatever is written in the syllabus i mean certainly there are some that are a little bit more empathic when somebody gets sick but that's not a guarantee and that's only if you have somebody that even has the courage to approach their professor to say, I was sick. Here's notes from, you know, my doctor, or I went to the student case management office and talked with them because I missed a whole week and a half of classes. And I'm hopeful that they can help be kind of the liaison or mediator to talk between me and my professor so that I actually can turn the work in. I mean, it's like, that's, that is the difference between a child and an adult. An adult knows to be proactive and do a lot of those things, or you're savvy enough to figure it out, like, ooh, I gotta get this done. Whereas still a, a child brain, right, like an adolescent brain is still thinking like, it'll work out. Like, it'll all just work out. And oh, by the way, mom, can you still like come up and make me some soup? <laughs> like, yeah. It's bad. Yeah, I mean, and I, it's interesting, I'm glad I, I just wouldn't have thought of that, right, as being an issue. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you can see where you got a lot of experience, uh, you know, in the retention department in dealing with these kinds of things. What about parents who know their kids have substance abuse issues or trauma or mental health issues going into school, but they're like, just go, it'll work itself out, you know, and, and how you end up getting called. And, you know, what, what should a parent do that, they're looking at their young daughter or their son and they're saying, yeah. you know, this is time. They're going to launch. They're going to do great. Maybe they need yeah. to get out of the house. This is going to be like, cause I'm a big, yeah. big advocate of get out of the house. Like, yes. you know, I am a big believer in that and that, that can sometimes really promote health. But what do you, what do you yeah. tell that parent? That's like, man, how's this going to go? You know? It's uh, yeah. Right. Um, so I had this conversation, this exact conversation 
with two parents within the last, you know, like literally maybe a week and a half before the fall semester started. Like, yeah, my young, my young adult just disclosed to me that they think that they need some like substance abuse counseling and like parents continue to rattle on, like here's this pre-existing mental health, like they're depressed. Um, we have family history of mental health issues. This young person is also highly anxious, um, very academically driven. So they're going off to a great school and oh, by the way, they just recently experienced some really significant trauma. And so what I tell a parent is the exact opposite of what they wanna hear. What they wanna hear is, oh, they'll be fine. Yeah, send them off, that's the best idea. Um, and maybe if you're lucky, you might be able to find somebody off campus, like a therapist, that has the licensing and the skills to be able to work with your young person um, maybe five weeks into the semester. Because at this point, it's too late to like try to find a therapist in the next week or two right when they land on campus. And to be transparent, both of these parents chose not to hire me because I was so direct, which was, I just want you to know that this, this is a life or death situation. You are truly putting your young adults into the, the direct path of failure and um, you know it's it cannot get any better than it is because they're not, like the idea truly okay I know I'm rambling and I'm not doing a good job because I was really like trying to be empathetic with the parents at the time but like I also said like hey clinically I cannot recommend this statistically your child will not make it to be on the first semester like really um, what are the and, statistics on that if they're if they're simple and easy to rattle off yeah right, right well for somebody i mean this isn't even like pre-existing on college campuses we have students that are dealing with substance like the the whole like trifecta essentially trauma is not necessarily identified but we you and i know it exists and it's probably much higher but in terms of mental health almost 50 percent of college students are on campus and then depending on the college like the actual campus itself and that's where you know I know you're saying like rattle off some statistics if it's easy it depends on the actual college quite frankly and nobody is doing the data on why the students are leaving but what you can see is who leaves after one semester or who leaves after two semesters one of the universities that I worked at and, and I'll also kind of say this too is you can predetermine if, if it's you know who's going to be on academic probation. You can see it. Um, it's it's in the writing. In before yes, they even come, start. Become, yeah, coming in. And a lot of that, some of it is, you know, quantitative just based on like, you know, what their GPA was, where they came from, you know, what they've written in their admissions essay. But a lot of it's also qualitative, right? Like how a student presents themselves during their orientation, three, you know, whatever, three to eight weeks before the semester starts. Like some of those students are already in trouble with student conduct before they even like step foot on campus to enroll in classes in the semester. Like statistically, that young person's not going to do well, right? If they're already getting in trouble now, it's, it is a slippery slope. Um, and at that point, they have a bullseye on. So anyways, I'm, I'm kind of digressing, but the statistics, almost 50% are coming in, right, or and or have identified as having some mental health, and a lot of that's anxiety. You can break it down. There's actually annual um, studies on just this, which is the mental health and substance abuse. I'm not remembering the substance abuse data right off the top of my head, but again, going to schools, 
one of the universities that I worked for would have a thousand students leave every, every, at the end of every year, 1000. So if we want to do the data on that, or just like hypothesize that almost 50% of those students were struggling with the substance abuse and the mental health, then we can hypothesize that 500 of those students left the university because they needed a higher level of care. Like that blows my mind. And I know like, and again, this is me getting fiery too. Like I have tried so hard to have conversations with colleges and universities. And I'm not saying like just the director of counseling or the case management office or the dean of students. It doesn't matter who I talk to. The conversations or, I mean, the, the message is almost consistent, which is, yes, we know we have a problem. We are doing everything that we possibly can to help the students that are here at the end of the day. If they leave the university, we can't work with them, right? Like they're on their own. We certainly want to try to catch them before they leave. But that's when my little like retention ears pop up because I'm like, you don't really want them to stay. Like you're, you want them to stay because they're paying tuition dollars, but you don't have the staff to help this young person because their, their need, right? Their level of need is much higher than what you can provide. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's hard to, to have those conversations. Again, I understand it. it. Higher ed is a business. At the end of the day, you do need to like continue to retain these students so you can pay for the services that you do have. You can pay for the faculty that you have, the beautiful amenities that are kind of drawing students to, to these college campuses but we're not matching who's showing up, right? If you've got almost 50% of students that have really significant anxiety, depression, and you have a one counselor to every 1,000 student ratio, like we've got a real issue. And as I continue to approach some of these colleges and universities, I'm not trying to sell myself. Like, I swear, I'm just like, dude, bug-eyed. Like, I need you to understand that there's literally an army of professionals that are that are working for these programs or can individually work with these these students and the families that you have that know the programs that understand what your young person needs because you're not giving it to them and we want to help them like this is not rocket science can you please just say hey if you know that the students withdrawing connect them to us so that they don't go home so that they're not floundering or like I said earlier getting worse before they get better it's just like, come on, why is this so hard? <laughs> well, you, and it's funny you say that because I get this all the time. People that, whether it's alumni families or friends and family that know what I do, they're like, oh, you should go talk to the local universities and you should, you should go to universities. Oh my gosh. And in my few conversations with university retention departments, where I've said, where where I've said, uh, what are you guys doing? And you should call us, us meaning the the larger industry. You should call the Joannas and the education consultants that are out there. Um, I I've gotten a very patronizing, oh, we got it under control. Thanks though. You know, and, and there is a sense of we don't want to have to call you guys. We don't want to have yes. to, like, we don't need you. We got it under control. And to your point, no, you yeah. actually don't. Like, yes. and, and how could you? I mean, it would take a lot of resources to be able to deliver a yeah. wilderness program for your students that are taking it. You can't. I mean, it's just, yeah. 
that's why we exist and that's why we specialize in what we do that's why you specialize in what you do and you see 100 programs a year yeah and so oh, that you can sit down with the family and say hey this is really what you guys are going to need yeah. right now in order to get johnny ramey or Susie back in school and yeah. uh, or back on a or in a healthier track whatever it yes. may be and so yeah. i share your frustration you you had a front row seat to it the rest <laughs> of us just sort of sit there and scratch our heads and go yeah why aren't universities working with yeah. us and i don't know what it, it'll take or if it'll ever really change but um, good for you. Oh, fight we're gonna that. change it. Fight. Come on, <laughs> we are going to change it. No, well, I mean, seriously, higher education is in for a massive shift, regardless, right? And that's where yes. I think the change will come. And I yeah. don't, I don't know that it's a matter of them starting to call us. I think, you know, higher yeah. education is struggling. It's ex it's more and more expensive every year, and it's. Yeah. I think it's due for some disruption in a healthy, some healthy disruption. It is, yeah. And I'm well, a believer I mean, in it. By yeah. the way, I'm a. I've I've got a master's degree. I'm a believer yeah. in it. I had a great yes. college experience. All those things, but yeah. yes, there's something odd there that's mm -hmm. sort of this like we can't admit that we can't do this. Yeah. Well. In, I mean, the, the thing is, because I'm also right. Like I went to college straight from high school because that was what as a society and my family told me like this is the this is your progression you leave home right and you go to school um i grew up on the east coast and i know that culturally that still exists very strongly and and you're right that to have that like subscription or idea of like just leave the home like it doesn't matter if you go to college but the message that our young people are receiving is that that's the best right like and Again, going back to technology, well, we're going to compare ourselves to the peers. So it takes somebody with some serious, like, resiliency, like, sense of self to say, you know, I'm not going to college, and I don't want to go to school, and I want to do this instead. Or, like, I'm going to take a gap year, or I'm going to do, you know, like, whatever. Insert anything other than immediately rolling in higher ed two months after graduating high school. But I do think that the shift is gonna happen, you're right. Yes, college is expensive, whatever else. And I am firmly believing that, you know, in our industry, we're already collecting the data of our young people. So if we're asking the question of like, well, where did they just come from school? Now it, it totally changes that conversation when you go to the retention office and say like, hey, what are you doing? Like, can we collaborate if you have any students? Even though like what we're saying is like, we know you have students but still think about us, right? Now we bring to the table this, like, hey, within the last six months, we've had 17 students from your school alone between only, you know, whatever, 50 programs. And to be able to speak to that retention, now we go over the heads of some of these people that are like, you know, on the ground with the students, the academic advisors, the therapists, right? The student success coaches and we're going straight to the president the dean of students and saying like you guys want to save money like the only way that you're actually going to save money is to be able to collaborate with us to make sure your students have the skills that they need so that could mean they're actually you know like some of these students are identified before they even enroll on campus and, and doing this kind of preemptively or proactively or i mean like they're for us to have that data, it just completely changes the conversation. And that's why I've been like, I wouldn't consider myself assertive in, in requesting this data <laughs> from the young adult programs. I'm like, you guys, you have to collect this data. Like seriously, if you are not collecting this data, like I, I'm concerned 
because you're already, it's not even collecting data, you're already collecting the data. All I'm asking is for you to ask three other questions, like change that. So now, now you can be able to say specifically, and it's not anecdotally because that's what it's been done in the past. Like, oh, hey, you know, I work for insert program and I know that we have had several students from, you know, Stanford or whatever. But it's like, yeah, but if you don't actually have that data that shows it was a 19 year old male between these, you know, this time period, nobody's going to listen to you. Like, that's where they're going to continue to say, like, yeah, thanks for, thanks for talking to us, but, like, we've got it covered. And it's like the door, <laughs> they're, they're shutting the door on our face again. It's like, now you can't shut the door because we're talking to you in your language about how this is a money issue for you. When we know it's a human issue, but the approach is in order to speak to a business, you have to speak to the dollars, and that's what retention is. Yeah. Oh, I've gotten your emails. I appreciate them. And we, we're, we're on board. I'm no idiot. I'm you guys like, are. <laughs> not else. So if you're listening and you're not signed up yet, like, hmm. I'm, I'm coming after you. I'm, I'm on board. I know I'm going to run into you in a few weeks here at a conference and I, I want to be in line. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm, I, it's funny that you say that because I actually have it on my to-do list to look at who is registered and who, who hasn't changed to add those questions. And I know who's registered for this conference. So I will be just casually having conversations with some of those people that are present about like, <laughs> hey, hey, here's the reminder, you need to be collecting this data. <laughs> now I'm all nervous. Now I'm like, did, did, did our people implement it? Like, I know I sent an email and was like, we need to get on this guys, but like, now watch, we didn't follow through and I'm going to be embarrassed. You have full right well, to come and confront me if we haven't followed through on that. So. Okay. All right. I'm holding you to that. Joanna, this has been fun. And it's like, I think, I feel like we could talk another two hours and maybe we will. But uh, I'm thoughtful of your time. I know you got a lot going on today. And uh, thank you. That was fun. I, I think you obviously <laughs> have a lot of experience and a lot of passion around this. And I appreciate you appreciate just taking the initiative within our industry around gathering the right data so that we can start having a, a more direct conversation with, you know, with the higher education or yeah. kind of bringing that info and throwing it on their desk and saying, ignore us now. Yeah, you know? exactly. I yeah. like it. I want to be there when you do it. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, well, thank you. Yeah. Where can people yeah. find you? What websites, emails, phone numbers, what do you want to share? Or uh, social medias, anything you want to yeah, throw out there? Any of that. I mean, you can, you can access it all from my website, including all the social media links, which is just www.lily, which is L-I-L-L-E-Y-consulting.com. And most importantly on the site is ways to contact me, like my email and my phone number, as well as the links to all of the resources like podcasts, you know, like videos, articles, and blogs that um, I've been involved with and or written. And so hopefully that can be a resource to whoever's listening. And I'll share that in our notes. Hey, thanks a lot, Joanna. Appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. Hey guys, thanks again for joining this episode of In the Trenches with me, your host, Andrew Taylor. If you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you would subscribe to my podcast. You can find me on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. So thanks for joining. 
and hope to see you next time.